Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. Tonight, we have a special guest. We have one of the pastors at Providence Reformed Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri. He's actually one of our pastors, and he's also the author of Solomon Says, and we are delighted to have Pastor Mark Horn tonight. Thank you for coming on the show. Very honored to do so. I hope I remember what I wrote. You might remember it better than I do because you just read the book. <laughs> well, we'll see. I know you have an excellent we'll memory. So um, I know one of the things that you started with the book in the introduction, you started talking about ruling yourself. And Proverbs is, in essence, about ruling oneself, learning to do that. Because if you're not ruling yourself, you are mastered or you're a slave to sin. You're mastered by whatever, greed, covetousness, adultery, those types of things. So how is Proverbs a good primer for learning to rule yourself? And if you want to also expound on what ruling yourself means, feel free. Yeah, um, so it is, you do become a slave to sin. That's in all the Bible and the New Testament as well. We know that. So I also want to add the new ones that, you know, you kind of... um. In there is a slightly separate issue that gets entangled with it all the time. But we can, we can at least for, for sake of um, conceptually thinking it all through, we can, we can maybe make it a little bit of a distinction, even though they go together pretty often. And Proverbs certainly says a lot about wickedness and evil and the slave nature of that as well. So, I mean, it's all, in, it's all involved with each other. But you've also got and need to understand that you have, I think, an element of immaturity. Um, Paul also says in more than one place, it's like he compares childhood to slavery as if it's innate, not always, uh, in a, not always in a, a culpable way. A child simply is vulnerable to being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. I mean, a, a young child is not supposed to be mature yet, but, um, what they're supposed, but they do have to kind of leave childish ways behind. Um, when they get to the point where they're supposed to eventually get to the point where they're ready that they can they can operate without the guardians that they had before. You know, I'm kind of stealing concepts from the end of Galatians 3 and the beginning of Galatians 4 there because he, the whole law and the history of Israel and the history of the New Covenant is all bound up in that kind of um that kind of dynamic taking place for the whole human race, or at least for all believers or the people of God, or however we want to put it. So what happens is you, um, as a child, no one expects you to know when to go to bed. No one expects you to know what, that you shouldn't eat candy all day. You're supposed to have responsible parents who are going to help you with that. And you're going to have to learn from that and learn that when you become an adult, I mean, one thing you, like in, in the West, we constantly do this. And this is in the Bible, some too, and it's in the New Testament, some too. Slavery versus freedom, right? But in Proverbs and in a lot of Bible passages, Romans uh, 5 and 6, for example, um, it's slavery versus your own authority, your own rule. You become a king. So when you become grow up to be an adult, you shouldn't think of it like, oh, I don't have a parent anymore. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, and you can bear all the consequences as well as everyone who depends on you for what you want. You want to be your own parent. Now, I know that's not what, I don't think Proverbs ever says that explicitly, but it doesn't say that the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will, will be put to forced labor. 
And I mean, when it comes to the ant, which is repeated, I think, twice in Proverbs, well, I'm sure it is. You know, excuse me, I, this is one of the things that I kind of dawned on me as I read it. That the, the thing about the ant, we just kind of, our eyes buzz over. We, we read that passage, you know, the ant works hard, you should work hard. But it, it says something very specific. It says it does so without, like, ruler or chief in her head. So, you know, he was saying, look, I don't see any taskmasters for the ants. I don't see anyone telling them what to do. They're just doing it. Phenomenally, that's what you see. They do things. And you should do stuff to take care of yourself without having to be told. You should have learned that by now. So you want to rule yourself. And yes, sin, sloth, all that stuff gets mixed in that because one of the reasons you want to stay immature and want to stay a child is because of sin. And also, um, when it comes to sin, you kind of want to pretend the consequences don't exist, which is immature. So those are all bound up with each other. They're all mixed in in human life. But I just think they can be theoretically kind of distinguished from one another. Um, the fool is usually a horrible unbeliever and sinner, though I don't think all uses of folly are totally the same as sin. I mean, I just think there's a little bit of the Venn diagram is like 99 percent overlapping but there might be a, a sliver of foolishness that's not sin and i guess a, a sliver of sin is not foolishness except you're going to you're rebelling against god and it could be self-conscious just you know unforgivable sin or something like that I, I haven't thought it through that well but i just again i just think it helps us to distinguish these two a little bit because obviously a child is supposed to be a child he's not like culpable for being a child but as he grows he needs to mature and um we don't necessarily, I guess we don't necessarily know the timetable exactly. So sin and impatience and um, sloth all got mixed into that. You know, impatience kind of being the opposite problem where you try to mature too fast. You try to take on responsibilities that you're not ready for or really enjoy freedoms that you're not ready to bear the responsibility for. So that's what it is. And I that was, I just, um, I should, I guess the background here is that I, can't see how many years ago I um I knew Proverbs was kind of like the catechism of the of the Bible. I kind of I still think of it that way. So I just thought I'd memorize some of it. And specifically I'd memorize the parts that were seemingly unorganized. I was hoping to find that some organization. I don't really have a lot to offer on that scale even now. Um but I I memorized at one time I could recite Proverbs ten, eleven and twelve straight through. Um, briefly, uh, I went and when I tried to move for, further on there, I, my my software started overwriting my, itself. So I, I can't just I couldn't just keep adding to that. But um, the point here is that in doing so, I just thought a lot about what themes, what would make Proverbs understandable, what was it going on. I mean, look, Solomon is this very wise person. He's part of an age of wisdom. And yet, a lot of this sounds like, why, why are these children's proverbs in here? Why, why, why are this stuff? It doesn't sound very sophisticated. And to extent, I've decided that proverbs is a riddle. In and in a way, you know, the, the contradictions are like the seeming proverbs that say go in different directions are intentional. You're supposed to reflect on that and try to think about when things might apply. And I know that because there's two proverbs that are like exactly together and say almost exactly the opposite thing, you know, answer a fool of according to his folly, and the next verse, don't answer fool according to his folly. Now, this can't be side by side by mistake. So 
I, I take that as permission to think about that way. All the proverbs that kind of go in different directions. They're all meant to be there for you, and they're meant to kind of increase your capacity for wisdom, help you mature. They're like a big riddle. In fact, remember, Proverbs starts off talking about the riddles, knowing the, the words of the wise and the riddles. That's in the introduction. And also, when Hezekiah makes this collection, the first thing you learn is that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search things out. So I think you're doing that when you read Proverbs and, and meditate on these kind of problems. Mm -hmm. um, recently, I realized there's kind of something similar going on in um, the Psalms because the Psalms give you kind of all these emotional highs and lows and all these different messages. You know, I'm right to vindicate me. Why are you torturing me for no reason? Or please don't punish me for my real sins that are actually the reason. You, you've got all this different stuff going on. And I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I, it really is that strange. And I think you learn how to be a mature and correctly feeling human being from that kind of stuff. I think it reprograms. So I think there's something going on in Proverbs. We've got to trust the process. There's obviously some reason why they're there the way they are. I mean, and especially the middle books that are kind of aphoristic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I assume as Christians, we believe the inspiration of Scripture. So we don't think that we have Proverbs if we rearrange all those, those passages, right? right? So we can't say they're random. On the other hand, I, I can't really do much with it. So I'm, I'm, I still hope that's something for the future people to solve. But, um, you know, after I wrote the book, I read, started reading Tinder's um, commentary, Derek Tinder. And it's a very good commentary. He does a lot more than me. But, you know, some of his, some of his commentary is, oh, here's a passage. Well, see my, see my comments on this other passage earlier. And that's it. Because, you know, it just repeats the same thing. So he doesn't have to say it twice. I'm like, well, okay, but it's in with, it's in different places and it was repeated twice for a reason. You got to come up with something. Well, you shouldn't come up with something if you don't know what it is. But my point is, we should at least acknowledge the mystery and put it, in a, put a, a pin in it for future effort, for future investigation. So that's what I encourage people to do, or I'm hoping the church will do in some kind of collective fashion at some point in time. But um, that's not what this book is. This book is trying to help you, help you as you read it, get something out of it. Mm hmm make yeah. a beginning with it so yeah that's it he says self-rule maturity mastery and that, that means basically training yourself to do the right thing i mean that sounds cliche i just came out of my mouth um <laughs> you know the power of aphorisms and slogans and sayings and the bible oh, yeah. should influence us that way so anyway but the point is you want to have the wind at your back when i have a stroke it took me a week before i could tie my shoe and it was not a very pretty sight. I, 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 um, I draped, like I folded myself at the waist, sitting down, just like hung over my, my knees. And I, you know, I, with my good side, I did kind of innate work, but my bad side, I had to like really concentrate. I tie my shoes without thinking. I tie my shoes while I'm meditating on some other topic. I tie mm -hmm. my shoes and I play with my cat at the same time. He comes and swats my shoelaces. And I do that while still tying my shoes. I don't think about it at all. You want as much as possible in your life, in godliness, to be like that. You want it to be, you want to be practiced at it. You want to be practiced at maturity. And I think, you know, that's the kind of thing he's talking about. Um, there are so, six things the Lord hates, no seven. And what are they? They're mostly body parts. Body parts that do things. Desire of a sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. It's like his hands are recalcitrant 
employees are on strike. They've unionized. I mean, they're not going to do what you want. Um, and we can be different types of people. I mean, that's why when people, some people, you meet a, a much more virtuous person, you're like, how do you do that? How did you not get angry? Well, because it's stupid to get angry. It just makes the situation worse. But it's not just that he made that calculation. He was already practiced at putting mm-hmm. a sock in. Sure. And not in a repressive, like, oh, I'm weakening myself way, but also with a, the kind of firm confidence mm-hmm. that we have when we, we get these good habits and start thinking about the world the way it really is, that this is a better thing for everyone, including us, especially us. You know, God can take care of what happens. You don't have to do that. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, especially about when speaking, you know, about a wise man, you know, and now I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher something if I try to tip a memory right now, but the point is a wise man does not run off his mouth and does not spontaneously react when he's provoked. I mean, I have a, there's, there's a lot about that. You know, a wise man keeps his spirit under control. Why? Because he has a minion. And you can't have dominion over anything in life that you need to be a happier and more productive person. You can't have dominion over anything in life if you don't have dominion over yourself. And that means, again, um, I'm sorry, I'm talking, I expected more questions and I've just started running off the mouth. <laughs> we were just going to let you op- expound. <laughs> demonstrating the opposite of what I'm, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I will just ask the, the listener, the viewer, to believe me that I've thought a lot about this, so I've got a lot of stuff you're such yeah, a wise um, guy. It's like a fountain. It just comes oh. out. But I know that Courtney has a question. So go ahead, Courtney. I do. Well, oh, yeah, you, go ahead, Courtney. You've hit on it a little already, but you make this, you make a lot of concise statements about how what we do is who we become. So if you're going about even a good thing, like pursuing wealth, but you do it in a dishonest way, that pattern of dishonesty is doing something to you as a person. It's making you... Um, well, you start to love it and it makes you in a sense evil. There's lots and you apply that to lots of different types of sins, like the trap as you're going about something in a dishonest way or an unlawful way. um, It's doing something to you inside. You can expound more on that. Yeah. Well, that's the first, the first, okay. Proverbs one begins with introduction and then the first big temptation, and in that first book, which is chapters one through nine, you know, there's, I said seven books in my in my um, in my book. I recently saw an argument that's only five. But that's that's the problem with writing a book. You know, new thing, new things come up. Um. Anyway, I don't know. I have no opinion now. But anyway, the first book, definitely, the problem is only one through chapters one through nine. There are two basic temptations that Solomon describes in such detail that he um speaks the vo- in the voice of the tempter. The first one is the kid being recruited into a bandit gang, a robber's gang. And the second one is the, the adulterous woman who's trying to seduce some loser on the street. Um, and in both those, he actually like voices the temptation. The other one about debt, there's one about debt very much like them, but he doesn't go that far. So in the first one, I argued that when Solomon lays out his argument why you should not become a violent um, a violent aggressor and try to make your living through robbing. It's not just that you'll get caught and killed. And it's not just that it's wrong. 
it's also that these people are presenting this as a choice, a basic economic choice, right? You want to get rich. You have gifts, like you're strong, you're a young man, you can you can hold a blade, you can be intimidating. Well, he says, no, they, they, they love it. They love to kill people. They, they're psychopaths. They, they, they've become, they become addicted to what they do. They, they can't stop. They couldn't, becoming a, like a productive member of society, the patience that involves and the respect for other people that involves and everything else, that's like unthinkable to them. They think only stupid people do that. You know, it's, it's a pretty common thing. I'm an outlaw. I'm a criminal. Well, I'm not a normie or I'm not a, I'm not one of those sheep. You know, it, it, people talk like that. They think of that themselves that way. And they think that like they're in prison because people can't handle their badness. And they, they don't mean badness the way that it really should be meant. They mean they're, they're amazing. No, they're fools. And of course, they're self-referential and they're in a delusion. They, they really almost can't escape from um, unless there's some kind of real intervention, which the consequences should be. But anyway, going back to your question, so they love it. They start to love it. So it's a it's a problem. You start off making these basic equations, taking shortcuts, and you kind of become addicted to the thrill. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think I've seen, you know, once you've, I guess, broken into a house and gotten a lot of loot, who's going to want the boredom of working for a minimum wage job? Forget that. I'm going to buy another house to solve. So it's that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that's one of the things that's going on. And then there's also the rationalization process we kind of talked about, especially with sloth, you know, the sluggard, he, he has all these fears. He thinks there's a line outside. He's going to get killed if he goes outside. This is just stuff people start making up. They start justifying their habits because it's better to keep, they want to keep their habits rather than deal with reality. So instead of facing up to the fact that their their habits and patterns of behavior have led to consequences, they tell themselves stories to avoid having to face that and thus not change their behavior. So that's when you go from like someone makes a stupid, immature decision. Okay, how quickly does he leave it leave it behind him when he realizes what's happened, or how much how often does he try to rationalize it instead? You know, it's their fault. They don't understand me. Something like that. So that's the kind of thing that happens, I think. Um, and that's what I think Proverbs talked about to some degree. And it talks about the light getting brighter and brighter for the righteous and the wicked, the wicked going down into their own darkness. And, you know, it's constantly talking about people being caught in the trap that they've been, they've made. Mm-hmm. Now, that's also a prayer in the Psalms, but that's kind of like a, a thing. Yeah, God's opposed to you, but truthfully, you'll also just, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to destroy yourself. And, what does wisdom say finally? All who hate me love death. All right. So that's theological, of course. People who hate God love death by definition. But it's also, a, 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 it, it's reflected, it's, re, it's reflected in just how behavior works out. Mm-hmm. Now, at least in a, in a normal situation. Now, there is something, I didn't get into this in the book, but later I started realizing that there are times when all society is just run over by fools. And in a sense, in the beginning of Proverbs, like Proverbs 3 kind of kind of envisions that. And it talks about not imitate. I mean, these consequences sometimes are delayed. There's a lot of stuff in Proverbs about not wanting to imitate people because they will be successful for a while and then they'll be on Instagram 
or, you know, Facebook or somewhere. And, you know, you got 360 million people in America and more all over the world. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of success stories that have nothing to do with the behavior that leads to success. Mm-hmm. You know, God, God does not judge people that that directly, that simply. And if he did, we would all be fools. I mean, we, in, the, in the sense of immature, we, we could never mature. I mean, I, I don't think it's in the book. I think this is a sermon I preached shortly after the book. But, you know, see, this is a problem. My memory, right? You've been so great. Well, <laughs> you know, we can imagine a world where every time you took the Lord's name in vain, you would bite your tongue. I mean, you know, you just accidentally bite your cheek or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that every time a spouse had an affair, she'd get a horrible or she would get a horrible rasp in the forehead that would have the name of the partner spelled out. And you would have instant, you'd have all this instant, instant, you know, revel, instant consequence, right? We'd all be two-year-olds in that world. We would, no one would live by faith. No one would trust God or learn about delaying gratification or there'd be no such thing as patience. Mm-hmm. That's not the world God. I mean, I'm not now. This is not a comprehensive explanation for evil and why God plays and all that stuff. It's, I don't claim to have anything like that in mind. But I'm just saying, when you try to, when you get upset about the way the world is and try to envision it differently, it's really hard to construct one that leaves us with intact human beings who are, you know, worth who are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. You have to watch out. You don't want to imitate the wicked, which is why, now I do say this, that's, that's why Proverbs is not, as it's sometimes reputed to be, some kind of name it, claim it, you know, wealth promise. It's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you can't say that the, the, the wicked are always poor and the righteous are always rich, but, but you're, you're constantly told not to imitate them, not to be jealous of them. Well, that means they're not unsuccessful. They're visibly successful. Yeah. Sure. So. Pit Proverbs, if you will, with that and self-help books, the 12-step guide to improving yourself, and of course, step number one in our culture right now, and it's even snuck in Christian veins in various parts, is loving yourself. Uh, You know, you need to love yourself well. I don't know, maybe you can expound on, is that even a biblical understanding? I think we do a really good job already loving ourselves i don't think that's particularly the problem you can you can let me know but pit self-help kind of material with proverbs is proverbs a self-help tutorial guide for a much better your best life now kind of thing well okay um first of all i'm trying to think how to unwind on this because i had a lot i had a lot of i've I've asked myself that question Mm -hmm. um this kind of goes into the term self-care, which mm. I see a lot. And, you know, there's almost two different directions in which that's wrong. Or it bothers me. That bothers me. But, you know, I'm not going to say the Bible. Let's start. Okay. So, okay. first of all, whether you love yourself or not, I do talk about yourself in this. And I talk about, let me, first principles. Adam and Eve are made, and one of the things he's going to do as he takes dominion over the world is he's going to take dominion over himself. Mm-hmm. And I mean more than just his body. I mean his very personality. He, you know, I assume that Adam and Eve could sleep all day if they wanted to. God didn't tell them not to. So they could sleep and they could, but eventually they're going to want to go down downstream or send some people downstream, you know, mine some gold and, you know, 
trade for some gold and beautify the garden. And there would be projects involved, you know, multiple human projects, division of labor and all that. And people would need to keep a schedule and be arrive on time. And they would have to train themselves to get up in the morning at a certain time. And then they go to bed at a certain time because that's what you got to do if you got to get up at a certain time, you know, if it's early enough. And, you know, find out that roosters will crow appropriately and all that stuff and, and, and you know, work it out. Um, I assume they do that before they admit an alarm clock later. But in any, in any case, they would have to become different people as they grew. And as they, in order to take command of everything else, they have to take command of themselves. That's, that's the way human beings are. I mean, we all, I mean, we don't just work on ourselves. When we are working on projects outside of ourselves, we have to change to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, our children will have to learn to get up, get themselves up, be on time. You got to learn to get along with people you don't like. I mean, in a sense, in a, in a non-culpable, non-evil sense, just people who irritate you. Or if someone's out of sorts, you got to still be nice to them because they're the customer. And that's your job, to be nice to the customer and to not, you know, respond. As, you know, and then, and then maybe if you're really wise, let's say, boy, I bet this would work if I just treated everyone this way. Mm-hmm. And even my wife or even my husband and this is like a familiarity give me permission to just bed or respond. And but that's a you know side issue. So anyway, so you are given to yourself just like, kind of similar to the way a child is given. You know, you have a baby and you're responsible a child. You, you love the child, but you don't want the child to save a baby all the day, all the time, for his whole life. And you especially don't want him to act like a baby when he's not a baby. That's, that's really kind of a, a horrible thing. Yeah. And you won't like that if that happens. They need to take steps to try to, as much as you can, encourage that not to happen. Well, okay, should you love yourself? You are given to yourself. You're responsible for yourself. You should care for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to go the other way with self-care, but now when I said that, I just suddenly realized you should. You want to be a the person you want to be the best person you can be. I mean that in a, not just, the, of course you want to obey God, but you also want to develop yourself to be someone, the most effective, productive person that, that you can be, mm-hmm. or you should. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, as you unlock a little bit of it, more becomes possible. Um, you also run into limits and stuff like that, but you, I mean, when, so yeah, if that's what they meant by loving themselves, it is true that it is true that people hate themselves in a way that's obvious. They are self-pitying and they are trying to evade responsibility for their actions by, in fact, I mean, self-pity and self-loathing can be, a, in a weird way, a kind of self-love. Like, a, it's, um, you know, basically you're blaming everyone else for your, your stuff. You're saying you're not able or responsible for to do better. Mm-hmm be better, have better action. So I think there's some modicum of truth to some some kind of expression like that, which I don't think it's ever used rightly. Right. I don't think it is. Right. And so I don't like it. I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, God wants you to look, let me put it this way. You want to love other people. You're supposed to love other people. So yes, within that context, you can't do that and loathe yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, because people who are on themselves are not going to be easy on other people. They're going to be bad to other people. That's true. But you still, the, the self-centeredness doesn't help. 
you just got to realize you're made in the image of God. You're, you're a steward of yourself. So I would say what's more fundamental than self-love, or at least in terms of advice and, and um, you know, rebuke or encouragement or whatever, is that you're responsible for yourself. And yeah, you're responsible for yourself. So you need to take care of yourself. Um, and, and you should also introduce the idea that, you know, what you end up doing is you end up loving everything around you and loving your life. Not necessarily loving yourself. It's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, so I, I don't know that's very clear. I want to let people express themselves differently, but I, I just, I think that's the way this is going. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It seems like if you're growing in wisdom, you're going to be a better version of yourself, but the focus isn't how can I be, be- the my best self? Like, that almost makes it like your orientation is on yourself. There's no commands in the Bible about love yourself. Well, it's love God, love people. It's like, as we're gaining in wisdom and doing these things that are wise and having that pattern, we end up better, but not by the route of focusing on our own self-improvement. That's what it it seems Um, to be. You're saying in the book. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. I mean, another way to put it is, you know, like I love my children. I can't love my children, despise their father. I mean, uh, he can do wrong things and I, you know, shape up my behavior and all the rest. But in a sense, I mean, if I was in self-loathing, it, that would be a form of selfishness. I'd be cutting myself off and being forever improving. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, condemning yeah. myself. It isn't, it's not how God wants you to do. But it, it, but this orientation towards, um, you know, his problem is he doesn't like himself or love himself. Usually it's I think the problem people have is they demand, they want unconditional acceptance from other people despite their behavior and they're not getting it. A lot of times it's because they shouldn't, they wouldn't accept it from anyone else. So they're not, they're not really following a golden rule. So let's just, let's, I would move on to a different way of trying to encourage people to, to repent. Um, and I was going to say about, I just, I don't know the, the term self care. I just, that just bothers me because people are allowed one is that people can enjoy their luxuries or whatever without having to excuse it as being self-care they just, right god's nice he gives us good stuff we just enjoy it i mean we don't have to say oh that's self-care i'm drinking a beer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. go you I, I don't know i mean well our society is weird and that's how people identify with uh with what's going on you know it's self-care I mean, we're two, we're two guys. I know you exercise regularly. I exercise regularly. That's self-care. But I've seen it modeled in the extreme before with various people at gyms where it goes beyond self-care. It becomes an idol, right? It becomes something that's even more important than just self-care. And we, so in that regard, yes, yes we care for our bodies. We, we should try to maintain healthy standards exercising things of that nature but things can get really wonky and it's a it's almost an excuse to say well i'm just loving myself well i'm just you know no you're idolized you've you've made an idol out of certain things yeah that happens i think human beings you know get involved in that and then what's awful is that then then other people see it and they almost make it their their righteousness to not be like that which means they don't ever do anything that they should do when they could make their life a lot better um, but anyway, but so, so, um, 
there were certain books that I refused to read while I was working on my book on Proverbs because I thought I would they would either I either I start stealing I would start kind of adopting their ideas somewhat or being affected by them. I didn't want to be question of that. Um and um also because I um because if I disagreed with them I didn't want to get I didn't want to start feeling like I had to argue with some book. So like I, I refused to read Jordan Peterson's twelve 12 rules for life while I was doing this because I got the impression that it would be something like what I was trying to do. And that actually is not the case, I think. Well, now that I'm, I'm, I've read some of it and now I'm listening to more of it, uh, which is interesting. He, re- he read it. Do you know that? Oh, did he? Peterson actually, yeah, he read the book. And he, that's actually pretty good. He's a pretty good reader. Yeah. At some point, he starts crying during one of the end of his chapters. But anyway, um, <laughs> and then uh, the other book that, that I actually like a lot. Now, you see, this, these are secular books, so we're, we're sure. in the case of Peterson, is outright unbelief. He's very much a Darwinist and, you know, trying to fit Jesus and God and Christianity into his Darwinian framework, which I. Yeah, there's some weird syncretism going on there. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not even. No, it's a. Darwin is over Jesus and Peterson's dominant hierarchy. There's no question. Um, still, some good stuff in it, but, you know. That doesn't yeah. even happen. Anyway, I, I enjoy. I enjoy him. And he's done some things that are brave, but sure. All right, still problems. Um, James Clear, the Atomic Habits. Mm. That has. I mean, it's that's a very secular, kind of neurological, little bit behaviorist book, but it's still got some great things mm-hmm. in it, and it is. It does overlap a lot with. I mean, not in terms of actual method. Some of the kinds of things I'm talking about in Proverbs, we have Proverbs. So it, I, I was glad I didn't read it until after I wrote my book. But it, you know, I would have, I wanted to have an independent thought. Um, and what's interesting about him is um, you mentioned strength training. Um, and I already mentioned I had a stroke. And you know, I've actually written about segue here or sidebar here, um, footnote, I guess. Um, I've already written about a little bit about how my stroke kind of upstart. I was thinking about Proverbs when I had my stroke, um, or I had been thinking about it before and thinking about it afterwards. And my stroke recovery kind of, where I was trying to get my hands and feet to work, mm-hmm. it was hard not to think about Proverbs and about how things become easier as you practice them. And after a while, it becomes like you don't think anymore. That your brain starts operating and starts, your hands start to get primed to do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, the wind's at your back all of a sudden. You're not mm-hmm. fighting the gale. Um, what is interesting is that about that is that James Clear had a brain injury as a as a as a, um, as a teenager and and it had to go into rehab and not a stroke but an actual sports injury that hit him in the head and he almost died, um, nearly escaped death and it involved him kind of recreating his basic bodily functions and movements and abilities from the ground up mm-hmm. and um and then of course he talked about in college you know he strength training also being something that led him to think about habits and how habits are important and how habits make you more capable mm-hmm. because you train yourself to do more things. Now, I didn't mention that in my book because I hate I feel like pastors should never put their personal hobbies in their sermons, so I tried to do that, did not do that in the book. I, I, I constantly went to examples like practicing piano, music practice, where, you know, if you're beginning pianist, if you're thinking about the notes where the keys have your fingers have to touch which keys, you're a bad pianist. You're just a beginner. There's no way you can play anything good. You don't sound good. Yeah. But 
you know, a master pianist just sits at the sits down on a sheet of music and his fingers do it. He, and yeah. of course, they get better at practice on the piece, but still, even he can do a certain amount just right off the bat because he knows the keyboard. His fingers have been doing this for years, and and of course, he's got a, some probably has some personal giftedness that gave him a positive response <laughs> when he first practiced. So maybe he's a little bit better than other people. People when they sit down on the piano, if they if they have to look at the notes and think about where their key, their fingers go, then we can forget about them playing any kind of entertaining piece of music unless they're like our child and we're enraptured by their <laughs> beginnings. But right. which God is like that, by the way. So not a bad illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, God doesn't, your feeble attempts glorify God. He's happy with them. He talks mm-hmm. in the Proverbs about a son. The father's heart is glad when the son attains wisdom. And that means all the way, you know, all the, all the path to that. Um, but you know your your life your ethical behavior can be like learning how to play the piano or learning how to play a musical instrument and you're meant to accept that this is the difference is that you know you're not necessarily meant to play the piano you're not necessarily especially going to be especially gifted if you're worried about where you're ranked on on piano players across the globe so you might have to have a positive feed as positive a feedback as other people would to practicing with one caveat, which I'll make in a minute, but you know, you're meant to be your father's son, your father's daughter. You're meant to be godly. So it doesn't feel natural at first, but if you practice it, it will happen. And you know, going back to the strength training kind of metaphor or application, or you know, Paul talks about athletic training and makes it sound like it's very similar to the godliness. He does that more than once. He talks. He makes these athletic comparisons with Timothy, especially, you know, um, train yourself in godliness for physical training is of some value, but godliness is a valuable in this life and life to come. So they are comparable in that sense. And um, what I was going to say, by the way, one thing I've noticed is one of the problems with practice is if you don't like it, or don't want to do it, what you end up doing is practicing hating it. Mm-hmm. So like you make, you force your son or daughter to practice piano and they might be really practicing complaining and saying all sorts of nasty things about it in their in their heads, you know, and, you know, how much control do you have over that? I don't know. Um, you know, you if you practice hating something, you'll be better at that, not better at, not more skilled at doing it, right? So, they, people can get the same mindset with Christianity. They can, they can say, you know, this is awful. And some of it is, you know, someone, they start to tithe or something they don't want to, and they just feel miserable all the time because they are kind of not open to it really, but but they're not they're not practicing the right way, you know, with the right attitude. So that can happen. Um, but in any case, um, point is, it's a skill. It's a skill you learn, and if you go to it like a skill and like realize it's a skill that God wants you to learn, and that as you master stuff, as you get better at stuff. Other things will happen. You and in this case, will be kind of negative. You'll realize there are other things that were wrong with your life that you never could see before because you weren't there yet to be to be able to see it. And um, so you you'll never be perfect. You'll never be sinless. There's no problem with that. You know, you're not you're not claiming that that's going to be possible. You know, sometimes you 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 find you find even Christian pastors. Claiming that they would never preach on the Ten Commandments because then people would think they might be able to keep them and that would make them proud. Just ridiculous and unbiblical and not all, 
there's so many points wrong that I'm thinking I, I can't even take it seriously because it really you do really do find it in the church, even in the reformed parts of the church. But the thing is, you can't see how bad you are until you get better, if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You, you see more. You, like, I mean, for instance, when Paul, I, I think this is in the book, you know, when Paul talks about husbands love your wives and wives love the church. Well, what on earth did the husband sitting in the congregation think? Did they know immediately everything that entailed? No, they had they had very little idea. They probably felt totally guilty about two or three things, and the wife could probably give them twenty or thirty more things they feel <laughs> guilty about, and and she was probably right about some of them, but you know they had to start working on it. It's not a it's not a um it's not a Ten Commandments kind of thing. It's a quest. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a forward movement. It's an agenda for your whole life. Of course, it has to be for your whole life. It's not only, I mean, because your wife's after all, she's she's not a she's not a stationary target. She's changing and moving and developing. You are, so you're, you know, as you become different people, you have to kind of adjust anyway. But you just have to grow in it, and as you do, as you do better, you'll be able to see more ways in which you are doing worse and be able to address those and over time mm-hmm. move on to other stuff. I mean, it's, it's the nature of life before the before the resurrection, before the, our complete sanctification and perfection. Um, but it's, God wants us to do it. And it's why the world is, isn't a lot worse than it is now, because God's been doing having Christians do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So we will never be perfect or sinless, but we can definitely be in a better place than we should be, and we'll be happy, happier if we are. Sure. So I think that's the, um, the agenda. I mean, there's a lot in the book. We didn't even talk about how the book talks about like the ways we chop ourselves through wealth. That when we have more abilities, we can still impoverish ourselves. We don't have to talk about that, but one thing I just want to give one practical thing. I, I talked about the difference between um, immaturity and, and sin, or at least the distinction we'll make just because when we're thinking about this. One of the things I think people need to realize when they're wondering why they sin and they're feeling really bad about it. And I mean, I feel like and I've, I've had this in my youth in certain ways where you're like, okay, I love God. So I should just keep his commandments, right? That's what he says. You love God, you keep his commandments. Okay, but the commandments do involve asking God for forgiveness. They don't actually tell perfection. Well, why am I sinning? Why, what's wrong with me? What's going on? And, you know, I just, if things are, there's a lot of reasons, you know, you don't love God as much as you should, you know, indwelling sin and all that. But another very mundane thing that people need to recognize is going on is you will sin because you've sinned before and you've got the habit. And that's just, I know that's very secular and kind of mundane, but that's powerful. You're, you're meant to be a repeating human being, a learning, you know, pattern person you you, that's, you develop habits you learn to tie your shoes i talked about you just do all this stuff well all your sins they're part of your programming when you when you do them mm-hmm. that's a good reason never to do a new one you know not to <laughs> go into some other territory because you know walking backwards is never possible you kind of have to do it a different way mm-hmm. my point is you just need to realize the power of breaking habits and that's why something that seems impossible for a while, if you'll just hang in there, it might suddenly become a lot easier. 
You just mm-hmm. you gotta think about it that way. You know, I think in some ways, and I realize this is in strength training, and I think it's also true in like something to behave better with prayer, of course, with praying to God for a new attitude, all the rest. Experiment. The the advice that you know the nature of insanity or the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice, expecting a different result. Well, in some areas, like when I'm trying to do something new with a barbell, or when I'm trying to break a bad habit, or sometimes repeating itself over, repeating the behavior over and over again, you will eventually give a, get a different result if you stick to it. So you kind of mm-hmm. need to have faith and, uh, stick and, um, show faith in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, usually that's like the antithesis of faith or well, the way some people express it, that you either, it's either human effort or it's faith. Well, maybe, maybe human effort can only really be stuck to if, in fact, you trust God to eventually take the yoke off, you know, give you the ability to actually do it. Maybe you need to, maybe your efforts are a kind of prayer. You should think of it that way. And your repeated efforts are a kind of repeated prayer. That you're petitioning God for changing behavior. I mean, after all, if you pray for change of behavior and make no effort at all, <laughs> how much of a priority is it really, is it to you, really? Mm-hmm. Are you kind of telling God, well, you know, if you want to like totally lobotomize me and change me <laughs> by, mir- by some miraculous way so that I have a completely different personality that's unrelated to anything I've been doing before, go ahead. Until then, I'm just going to whine a bit about my behavior and keep following in it. Well, that's not what I got want. Mm-hmm. So, that's something I just, I, I think that's important. People realize that they're creatures of habit and they've had some bad habits. Yeah, it might be to- total mystery as to why they got into this habit and stuff, but the fact that it's sticking to you now, mm-hmm. it's actually somewhat mundane as well as a deep mystery of evil. I mean, it, it, it is what, it's how God's going to get you to be better eventually. You know, you're going to practice good stuff and that's, that's, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the encouragement of His Word, with the, the Church, the means of grace, it's going to work out if you pursue the plan, pursue wisdom. Yeah. So that's just something I thought I'd preach at you today. I don't. I mean, I don't <laughs> that's sure. good. It's a good homily. Thank yeah. You. Well, faith without oh. works is dead. So you're saying, like, if you're going to trust God to grow you in godliness, there is effort that you have to put in, and that's yeah, showing I, that you're trusting that He'll change you as you're relying on his grace and as you are putting in the hard work to break your bad habits. I think that's absolutely true. And I mean, you know, in the sense, you know, gestures are prayers, right? Efforts, sacrifices are kind of prayers. So this, that kind of goes on with that. That means we have a right to think of God watching our behavior and making our behavior a kind of prayer as well. Mm-hmm. So, good. Um, so there's a lot in the book, but I, I mean, I want to leave something for people to read. Are there any other questions you think we need to be answered or addressed or, um, I think if somebody wants to become more wise, do you have a suggestion on how do you, where do you begin that? Where does that start? You buy my book from Athanasius. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, 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 but you read Proverbs. You read Proverbs first. Um, well, I mean, you read Proverbs because that is the book on wisdom. It says so. And I think what I try to do is give you some tips on how to read it and not be totally confused or, or be willing to put up with the confusion and just, Trust God. The other thing, since Proverbs does have these aspirations that appear to just be jumbled up, you know, in the, in the second, third, and fourth book, or fifth and sixth, um, you're totally 
play fine if there's some issue you're struggling with. Finding five proverbs that apply and memorizing them and try to recite them and recall them to mind and see if that helps you. I mean, you know, you can use the whole Bible that way. I mean, I sometimes get tired of the way people have favorite Bible verses. It turns out that's all they know about the Bible ever. I mean, you also <laughs> need to be kind of systematically reading it just to know the whole book. Yeah. It's really not that long. But, you know, the Bible is meant to be applied. And that can mean, like, you know, having it at your fingertips, having certain things that you find relevant. So, you know, I've had pro I've, I've memorized especially stuff about speech and, you know, slow to speak on um, what's that's James. But I mean, you know, stuff about he who answers before he hears it is folly and shame to him. That's a. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, I really liked your, you know, ongoing struggle. So not, not to give away everything in the book, but I really enjoyed your, um, your place that you talked about sitcoms, how sitcoms have essentially catechized us as observers and watchers to essentially have these conversations where we have to sort of immediately answer, immediately respond. That's the sitcom sort of way of communicating these zingers quickly retorting, um, setting up all that. I thought that was a really good observation that you made in the book that does play out in our daily conversation with people. We've, most of us have all observed and watched these sitcoms growing up. And then even as adults, that is how the sitcom format presents itself in communication style. Yes. We've all been socialized that way. And the thing to remember is it was all scripted. <laughs> no one no one comes up with those things spontaneously except except a few improv type things and how many of them are actually good yeah I mean, yeah very few i mean not saying they're never but it's just it's hit a risk um no it's all scripted it's all pre-planned and also the characters are ever never gonna they're always gonna be reconciled in the show which does not happen in real life <laughs> that's right true. especially if you just say the first thing that comes to your mind yeah that <laughs> does not happen and that's you know you know Quarreling is like letting out of water before the quarrel begins. You know, um, that's almost right. I mean, I probably missed a word there, but you know, this stuff you can't. Um, yeah, you, you can't. You can't mess with that. Solomon says a lot about just keeping your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. You don't need to make enemies. You don't need to tell everyone when they're wrong. Yeah. You know, you just got to think about that. At least, at least think a long time before you say something. I mean, think about. Be be willing to face what will happen. Don't don't speak without having at least given some thought to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, and, and then I talk about it in, in, in Acts, you know, excuse me, the gospel, you know, speaking before rulers, having given a defense yourself, that's considered a very a very hard thing. And it's, God has Jesus has to make promises to people that the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about it. So yeah, that tells you right there that no one's gifted in that. It takes a miracle. <laughs> it's, not some, it's not a situation you want to be in normally. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I have two chapters on speech. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I think half of Proverbs on speech. I, I one of those chapters, I'd be, I'd be prepared for it by um trying to write list every verse that addresses speech, and it's like almost like there's like a speech version, a speech aspect of every other problem that Solomon that Proverbs addresses. Mm-hmm. It's just all over the place. So huge deal yeah. yeah anyway um and i that is i think it's back to our, our irony we noted earlier about me just talking so fast and 
<laughs> you have a lot to say. You have you a lot do. to say. Well, there's, there's actually a proverb about it. It, it talks about, oh, no, I'll, I'll get this wrong. So I'm not even going to address it. There's <laughs> the, the, the one early Bible conference I did on um, on um, Proverbs, actually the one I did right before the lockdown. It's at my website, SolomonSays.net. Uh, if you go to the audio video section. What um, is the website again, Mark? What is it? Oh, sorry. SolomonSays.net. Okay, SolomonSays.net. Okay. Yeah, Great. You'll find a lot of stuff I wrote reflecting on the stuff in this, my book, as well as some other stuff I've written. I'm, I'm working on a commentary on Ephesians right now, so I've got stuff on Ephesians in there and some other things. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they, they asked God to bless me as I poured forth wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, poured forth stuff. And I, there's actually a poverty. I kind of argue in the book, it indicates that the wise man doesn't pour out anything. He rather releases a little bit of water at a time. Right. It was actually that, that metaphor is actually used, I think, in problems. Anyway, it was ironic because I had to, I told it, more like a sprinkling. I'm going to sprinkle wisdom on you. I'm going <laughs> to try not to say too much. Well, I really appreciated the, the opportunity to talk. I hope we can do it again about Absolutely. my other book, maybe, or another book, and um, another one of my books. And um, I really appreciate this evening. Absolutely. We really enjoyed reading the book. It's very clear. It's very concise. Mm-hmm. Um, lots yeah. of practical takeaways too. Yeah. Just yeah. many. I mean, I wrote down lots of quotes I liked. There's just lots of things that you say if, that are impactful. And we're not flattering you. We, if we didn't know you, we would say, <laughs> this is a really good book and you should read Solomon Says. Definitely. That's what we yeah, would tell our audience. So we're very much. I'm very flattered, by the way. Or, uh, that's not the right word. I am very gratified to hear that you like the book. Oh, yes. I am. Um, yes, very um, good. I, my only regret is that I couldn't have written that book when I was, say, 25. Mm. Yeah. Getting closer to 50, getting, you know, being over 50, because um, I could have used it. Yes. Well, many anyway. can, many, many can use this book. Many should use this book and read it. And we definitely are a culture that lacks the ability to rule oneself properly with wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so I think people should definitely buy the book. So where can people find the book? Solomon says.net. Is that the best place to buy the book or is it on Amazon? Well, I have, well, I, have I have links, but the, is it, I, have a, I, have a, I have a category that says buy the book with an exclamation mark on it. Buy my book. Anyway, the best um, Amazon, it's on Amazon. Okay. It's on Kindle too, by the way. That's what you like to read. Um, and um, it's also at athanasiuscruz.org. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, okay. Um But 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 Amazon's a pretty is a great place to buy it. Um, I think the price is comparable, comparable either way. Okay. But if you had Amazon Prime, I would think that would be a better place to go. Just because. Right. You know. So. Very good. And, um, and uh, yes, I know that we don't like. Well, never mind. I mean, um, <laughs> if you feel like you have to boycott Amazon for some reason, please go to AthanasiusPress.org. They've already taken over the world anyway, right? Who cares? Uh, right, right, maybe. <laughs> but I understand. All right. Don't want to buy there. Okay, yeah. So we'll include uh, links in the description for the book so people can just click on that and I'll go ahead and provide those when the video is up. And uh, again, Great. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. Well, I guess given the way, given when we're recording this right now. Okay. Very good. God bless. God good bless. night. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. 
it is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.